talking about uh, contentment, but specifically we're going to look at this idea of adversity and prosperity. Now, just to jump right in, we're going to go into Philippians 4. Now, Philippians 4, again, we've looked at a couple of these verses already. I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time contextualizing what we're about to read because I'm going to make a, an assumption that many of us have been here for the past few weeks. I know not everyone, and not everyone has a familiarity with the things that we've been talking about, and that's okay. Uh, but part of what happened here is that Paul is writing this letter. This is the Philippian letter from a, a place of arrest and confinement. He's under house arrest in Rome. He had always dreamed of going to Rome. He gets there. Unfortunately, it's not the way he was hoping. He's under house arrest. He's waiting a trial that uh, would result either in his acquittal, which it ultimately actually did in this case, until later on he was rearrested ultimately, and, and he died um, under, under the hands of De Niro. But in this particular case, he's waiting for a kind of conclusion of the situation that he found himself in. Here's the deal. He's stuck because he can't work. So he... He still has to pay for all of his, expen his expenses. Paul had a skill set of being able to make tents, which he often would be able to do uh, as a means of supporting himself while he did the larger ministry of planting churches and talking about Christ in the major cities of, of the entire known world at that time, the Mediterranean world. Well, suffice to say, for the first time, he was really dependent on the graciousness of other people, but particularly churches that he had founded. The church at Philippi was one of the churches that stood up in an amazing way and responded to Paul's need. He didn't even request it. They did it out of their own heart. They sent him a gift. It was a monetary gift designed to help him in his situation. What we're reading here is going to be connected to that gift that they gave. Look at verse uh, 10 with me, if you will. Paul says, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have a chance to help me. But he, their gift had been delayed. It had just arrived, and he was deeply appreciative, and he wanted them to know that he had never doubted them. That's what he's basically saying. But he also wants to point out something else, something that we looked at last week. He also wants to let them know that as much as I appreciate your gift and as much as it's, it's going to help me, I really don't need anything to be content. Look what he says. Not that I was ever really in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Verse 12, and I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living. We're going to talk about that secret a little bit more next week. The secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or an empty one, with plenty or little. I mean, we've been talking about learning contentment. We mentioned last week that what we, contentment, from a, at least from a Christian perspective, a, a biblical perspective, is an inside job. It's something that that is more than just a stiff, stiff upper lip, you know, I'm going to, you know, force my way through life stoically, you know, uh, tough it through. It's, more, it's far more than that. It's far more nuanced and, compl and complex than that. It's, it may include that at times, but really it's not that. Uh, it has more to do with a kind of contented or how maybe a centered peace, a settledness of being, a kind of a, a, a way of, of trusting God that, that is connected to his real joy in our lives that produces in us a resolve and a capacity to endure through difficulties in life and not feel like somehow we're going to fall apart or be overwhelmed, but that God is with us and he's near and we're trusting him and he's present. It's that settled place. This is partly what we're talking about. Now, it reminds me whenever we, whenever we think of the idea of contentment and the idea of how our soul can be settled even when the waters are raging and the storm is just you know, in full force and the winds are blowing, and, and, and it's easy, honestly, to be discontented. How do we find a settled place? You know, if one of the, in my mind, one of the great passages in all the Bible, it's, I think it's, 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 without, it's probably the most quoted psalm of all the psalms, clearly. Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm, as it's sometimes called. It's in your hand in the middle column there. 
David wrote the words. It reminds me of exactly what Paul's talking about here. The Lord is my shepherd, right? I shall not want. You see it? And then notice how he moves through. This, the, the, he says, you know, he leads me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, peaceful streams. That's where God brings me. And he starts talking about how he restores my soul. He's talking about his mind. Because so much of our struggle is in our mind. Oftentimes, it's in our mind, our thoughts, where our anxieties really grip us. We get afraid. We, get, we, we allow that anger to settle in. We become disturbed about what may or may not happen. And um, we can't sleep. We're troubled. And, you know, sometimes it has to do with pressures, responsibilities, situations we find ourselves in, and we are concerned about the outcome. And, you know, we are, we, are, we are reminded that we can invite the Lord to be with us. He restores my soul. He keeps, me, keeps my mind. He leads me in the what? The path of what is his righteousness for his name's sake. He, he shows me the right way to go, the right attitude to embrace. God has a path for us to take. And even though he says, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when, I'm, when, when honestly, it, it's a scary place to be, I'm not going to be afraid. I will not fear. Fear that great robber of our peace. I will not fear because why? You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me, right? You, 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 not only do you protect me, God, and cover me in these places where I'm threatened and when death is all around me, but, but you also you prepare a blessing for me in the midst of this troubled place. You prepare a table before me, even in the presence of my enemies. Think about it. He says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. You bless me. Surely, he says, goodness and mercy. He just like lays claim to the promises of God. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, all my days. I mean, it's this great promise. I think a lot of that, you know, and again, I, I think of this psalm in many ways as being kind of like an Older Testament connection to Philippians 4, 10 through 13, because I think the, it's, it, 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 how you say, it captures in a very vivid and picturesque way um, the essence of what a settled soul looks like. It really does. This is what a settled soul looks like. And the imagery, the feel, the sights, the sounds of the poetic words of the psalm actually call us and invite us to a place of peace and contentment and trust. And I think that's one of the reasons why Psalm 23 has been such a, a meaningful piece of scripture for those who need to be settled in the peace of God and, to, and have a contented place in the midst of a very difficult, challenging time of life because it calls us to a place of trust. It's exactly what Paul's talking about here. And we go back, if we can, to what Paul's talking about. And when he says contentment, he's talking about something that can be learned. We talked about this last week, something that he had trained himself in, something that he had practiced. Why? Because for Paul, like a lot of us, contentment, when things aren't going well, is not always easy. How do we find it? What is it? What's it look like? How, does it, how can we grow it? How can we learn it? Okay, let's talk about that. Maybe we're going to approach it this way. Let's talk about it from the perspective of what it isn't and what it's often sometimes confused as. So let's start by putting a couple of things on the board. Let's go at it this way. Let's suggest that this is what contentment is not. Contentment is not, number one, resignation. And what I mean by that, it's not simply just you know, going with the flow, resigned. Uh, it's true. There was some of that for Paul. He wasn't fighting his situation. Uh, he wasn't swimming upstream. He wasn't flailing away saying, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't saying, you know, he wasn't bothered and oppressed and beaten down by his condition. So there was an element of Paul that was sort of going with his confinement. He wasn't fighting it. But at the same time, um, 
it didn't mean that he didn't want out of it. And I think he clearly did. I mean, he didn't like his situation. He, it's not that he had given up even trying to per, pursue a preferable future. And I think this is important. It, it, contentment for Paul didn't mean doing nothing. It didn't mean simply being passively resigned to an outcome that was beyond his control. He wanted to, be, he wanted to work for a preferable change. You see what I'm saying? He wanted to get out of there. It was his, he didn't want to be confined. He didn't want to be imprisoned. He didn't want to die. Right then, he, he, was, he was willing to, but he didn't want to. He wanted to go out and keep doing his work. He didn't want to be dependent on people. He had to. It, it bothered him, but he had to. He had no choice, and yet he didn't want that, and he was trying to work and, and hoped and to get to a place where he could get out of the situation. And I think this is a real important distinction because um, I think we can be content and still desirous of change. That's what I'm trying to say. D so contentment does not mean passivity. Just, you know, I've sort of accepted it, and so I'm not going to do anything about it. It's, it's, sometimes people think, oh, that's what you mean by contentment. But it's not what the Bible talks When he says, I'm learning contentment, it's not like I like what I'm at. It's not like I'm not trying to change. He's changed. But while I'm waiting for that change, I am living in a contented place. You see what I'm saying? There is a mentality. There's a shift, a paradigm shift, a way of looking at things. It's sort of like I, I want to change this, and I'm going to keep exploring opportunities to get out of it because I don't like it. But in the meantime, in the waiting, in the pause, in the interlude, I'm going to learn how to be content and not fill with anxiety and negativity and, and, and whatever else can creep in when we're feeling stuck in a place. But again, it's not to be confused with non-action. It, it, we, we may have a time where we don't do anything and we're just still, but it shouldn't necessarily be assumed that we're discontented if we're actively looking for a change Change can be a, a good thing. It sometimes is a preferable thing. It just means that we, how do we respond while we're waiting for that change and pursuing it? What's our attitude like? Can we be content even as we're looking for other options? You see what I'm saying? So it's, it's important to remember that. Number two, discontentment um, is not to be confused with, uh, secondly, this whole idea of denial. Uh, he, for example, Paul is not pretending uh, that he's... Uh, well, let's just put contentment is not to be confused with denial. Paul's not uh, pretending that he's happy with the situation. He's not saying, oh, this is good when it was really bad. You see what I'm saying? You know, like, and, and a lot of times uh, people might say, well, you know, uh, I'm content. And, and, and we're saying, you're not really seeing it. For what? Are you saying that you think that's good, what, this is good? So contentment is anchored in reality. It's not closing our eyes to reality. You know, listen to me. Faith does not require us to falsify. Faith does not require us to falsify. It, it may require us to look beyond the present, right? It may require us to see what is not yet present, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we can't be honest. We're, it's, 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 we should pretend something is good when it's not good. That's not what contentment is. That, that's, that's delusional contentment. Right? That's like saying something is good when it's really not good. It's, God, the Lord never asks us to do that. Contentment disconnected from honesty and truth is not real contentment. That's what we're saying. It's, it's not pretending that something is good when it's not great. It's not good. At the same time, you know, I look at it, I go, Jesus never modeled anything close to delusional contentment. He modeled real, truth, truthful living. Think about it. He didn't want to go to the cross. And you say, what are you talking about? Didn't he come to die for us? Absolutely he did. But 
it wasn't like, oh, Jesus said, I just can't wait uh, <laughs> to be uh, stripped down, beaten to a pulp, hammered up onto a pole, hung between two thieves, and have every enemy in the world come and spit at me and scorn my name. Just from a physical standpoint, it was absolutely, utterly humiliating and shameful. And it was intended to be that, stripped down. At the same time, there was a spiritual component to it as well. You think about it. He had to do for the first time. He had to feel something he had never felt. Father, he's going to feel separation from the Father. It's, it's embodied in one of the sayings on the cross when he says, Father, you know, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, he feels he carries not his own sin, but our sin. You know, we know it's like to, to, to work through guilt or shame. Jesus carries the guilt and the shame of a world on him. He, he feels utter darkness beyond anything we can imagine. He sees it coming. He doesn't want it. It's not, he understands this will be different than anything he's ever experienced. He gets that. That is why, some of you remember, in the garden, what does he say? Father. This is right, right on the precipice of the cross. Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. That was not delusional. That was real. I don't want it. But if it be your will, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he walks into the cross and through the cross for all of us. Now, that's huge because what that reminds us is that Jesus saw things clearly. To follow Christ is not to live in a pretending way. It, it, it brings no glory to God when we call something that is what it isn't when it really is. You see what I'm saying? We, it, if it's not good, it's not good. But it doesn't mean we can't be contented there, but we just we can't pretend that it's not a problem. That's the point. Jesus embraces it. He moves into it. He calls it what it is. So we are, we are also called to be people of truth as well. But another thing contentment isn't, contentment isn't uh, unemotional. All right? And this is important because a lot of times people say, well, you know, if we're content, we won't feel any, we won't really feel strong emotions. We're just kind of, I think a perception sometimes is like the Stoic, right? The Stoic had trained them. Remember that school in philosophy we talked about it last week? The Stoic had trained themselves to not feel. So this is how you live contentedly. You basically don't feel anything. If you can, if you can have enough techniques to not feel, you won't hurt me. You can, anything can happen. I'm not going to be hurt. So I don't feel it. So I'm, I'm fine. I'm safe. I'm secure. I'm, I'm, again, I'm, I'm, it's like what we talked about, it, right? It's just like being in a desert. <laughs> it's like I, I'm not going to feel so I'm safe because I don't want to be hurt. And Batman, if you think about this, there's, a, there's also true the Eastern religions of our day as well. Many of them, the, the goal is detachment from self. But the way of Christ is not, is not detachment for detachment's sake. It's detachment for attachment to him so we might find our true selves in him. It's not the loss of self. It's the finding of self. You see, that's a very big difference. And part of finding ourself means that we learn how to be people who look more like him, so that we are people who can be touched by things. We feel things. Contentedness um, is something that is connected to being open still. Uh, you know, we, we, we not, to, to say I'm not going to feel, I'm not going to allow myself to be hurt is, is not really the way the Lord wants us to negotiate through the painful places of life. It's so tempting to pull in and to want to safeguard ourselves, but God wants us to be okay with experiencing life. And it's, sometimes it's going, to, it's going to make us cry. And, and it's going to, we're going to get hurt. Because to live in love means to be vulnerable. 
And that happens at times. And I think I get it. I get why that a lot of times when you say, well, you know what? I, I, can't, I, I can't allow myself to go there, so I'm just going to play it super safe. And I'm going to create a buffer zone around me. And no one's going to get through that. And, and, and I won't be hurt. But then I'm numb. I'm numb. And Jesus models for us what the contented one looks like because he was a man fully alive. He wept. He wept at the loss of his friend. Think about it. Even if you read about it, the shortest verse in the Bible, the first one I memorized when I was in Sunday school, by the way, John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept, all right? Jesus wept uh, when, when what? Over the loss of a friend, his friend Lazarus. Now, the irony is he's on the verge of doing one of the greatest miracles of his ministry. I mean, Lazarus, come forth. It, it's this stunning moment of resurrection power. It's where Jesus declares, I am the resurrection and the life. But right before that, he's crying at the death of his friend. He's weeping. There's another moment where Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he knows he can see down the road what's coming, and he, and, he, and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I've longed for you. I've longed to take you under my, under my wings like a, like a hen gathers her chicks, but he says, you would not have me. You don't want me. You don't want me. And you can just feel the pathos in his heart. The motion is there. Or when Judas comes and he says, friend, you, and kisses him, that the sting of betrayal out of one who had been so intimately discipled and loved, and to have him kiss Jesus, do you betray me with a kiss, my friend? I mean, that's real. That's real. That's the point. Jesus was real. He was authentic. He, was, you could, he could be hurt. See, contentment is not meaning that that we, we're disconnecting from our emotions. It's being, it's, it's being uh, we can feel things. Okay, so we kind of understand. Let's go back to verse 12 again. Look what he says. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. Think about what Paul's saying here. Because, okay, watch what we're reading here. Just stay with it. Because what he's talking about now is a vibrant kind of faith, a faith that is flexible and capable of meeting whatever happens in life. Look at it. It, it, it has a kind of adaptability capacity. It can, it can deal with things. It's extremely flexible. It has, it, it, it has the ability to adapt rapidly to any scenario. That's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about a real relationship with God that can, be, can meet anything that life throws at it. Look at this. Watch what he says. He says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. Okay, the older version says, I know how to abound. I know how to be abased. I know how to be in need, to be in situations and circumstances that are desperate, and I know how to abound, I, I to live in abundance with very little um, that I actually need. Actually, I have more than enough and, and, and more to even spare. He says, I've learned the secret of living. Look at this. In every situation, which is Paul's way of saying he had discovered a truth, a technique uh, for resilient living, a technique that was forged in the furnace of trials, lessons learned in the schools of, of both adversity and prosperity. And look what he concludes by saying. He says, whether it's with a full stomach or an empty one, plenty or, or with little, I'm not, I, I learn how to be content in any situation that life throws at me, whether I'm free or whether I'm confined, whether I'm independent and able to sustain myself, or yes, even here, when I am dependent. I've learned how to be content wherever I am. So as much as I appreciate your gift, and I do, Paul says, it means a lot to me, especially because it shows your heart for me. That means even more, he says. The resource is valuable. Your love and loyalty even more meaningful because the truth is I've learned how to trust God and live contentedly no matter what my situation is. He says, I know how to, I know how to be in a scenario where I have no food at all. My stomach is growling. I'm starving. I know what it's like to be beaten with rods and suffer. I know
know what it's like to be praised and honored. I've been there. I've been both. Listen, he goes, I know I can do anything. I can walk through anything in life. I learned the secret of content. I've learned how to grow in a contented way. So let's talk about that. What does he mean? Why is, he, why is it a big deal? Let's make some reflections out of what he's, because really what he's doing is he's setting up a scenario of contrast, isn't it? Plenty, little. Full stomach, empty stomach. You know, in prison, free. I mean, you just see, he's abounding um, when I am in a, a, a base. Uh, you know, when, I'm in, when everything's going for me, when everything's going against me. When I have all that I need, when I don't have what I need. I, I've learned how to be content any place in life. Let's talk about that quickly. Let's make this point. We'll put it on the board. Adversity, though painful and unsettling, may be the vehicle, actually, that God uses to grow us. That's one of the things Paul's getting at, I think. I've learned to be content. I'm not afraid of adversity. That's what he, part of what he's saying. He's because, you know, and I think a lot of times we are um, because Paul saw it as a place of growth. That's why he wasn't afraid of it. And a lot of times it's in the place of difficulty. I mean, hey, listen, some of us right now might be going, I don't want to be trite with this. Some of us might be going... The odds are that, that, that actually many of us are. We have some area that's hard. It could be relational. It could be with our health. It could be something that has to do with our finance. I don't know. But, but there are times in life where we have really, we're in a hard place. When there are the winds are against, it is hard. It is hard. Maybe some of us have been really struggling with our own faith with God. And we are, we are, we are in an adverse place. It is hard. It took everything in us just to even come to the Lord's house today but we did it. And I'm going to suggest that in these difficult places in life that there's this amazing opportunity for us to grow. I've been saying it. We've been talking about it. It's a place where we learn how to live with increased gratitude and generosity, a place where we learn to trust God in ways that we would have never imagined. I'm telling you that it's in the place of adversity I've found that when the fibers of our faith really are developed, where we, you know what, we, I realize that we don't always handle things right, but a lot of times it's in the wrestling, it's in the growing, it's in the questioning, it's in the struggle that, that life flows. It's, that's where we begin to spiritually, listen, lean out. And I mean it in a good way. Our faith becomes firm, it becomes stronger, it, it, it's more capable of enduring, it's been through struggle. Struggles produced a confidence and a patience and a capacity that wasn't present there before. The ability to endure with a spirit of joy, to move forward with things, to not be defeated so quickly, dropping back into patterns of our past. No, we have learned the art of being resilient in God. You see what I'm talking about? It's like a lot of times growth happens, and I think about it like a, a seedling bursting out of the ground. You know, I, I just, a lot of times God busts us into a new thing, and that seed that's been growing, if we could do a fast-forward camera action, right? It, that seed would, right? It just, but when it busts out of there, there'd be a moment there where you'd see the dirt just flying out as that seedling comes through. And there's these moments where what, all that interior work underneath, it shows up on the surface all of a sudden. It just shows up. But the growth has been down here, below, but it, then it, it busts out. And that's sometimes like our own walk with God. There's struggle. Yeah, there's struggle. And breaking through sometimes involves struggle. It's a wrestling of it. But when it comes out, new life, boom, bursts out. Just an explosion of, a new, of something new God's doing. A fiber breaks down, but it grows. It's a spiritual way. Because what? It, why? Why does that happen? Because it's true. We can make mistakes. We can, but a lot of times what it is is we're forced to trust God in ways that are more real and more authentic and more honest than we could have ever had when we were in a place where we were, we were doing fine and not in need. That place of dependency, 
that place of, if, for Paul, to use Paul's now, confinement or struggling with the limitations that are on us. That place of wrestling with our faith, the goodness of God, where are you? The hard conversations, the honest look, the honest prayer, the authentic struggle, this produces, if it's allowed to come in a way that God wants it to come, it produces a strength of, of it does, it produces a deepening and a strengthening of our life with God. You see what I'm talking about? That's it. Now, now the corollary is also true. Look at the second piece here. We'll put this up. Not only is, is there a challenge, I think, with adversity, but um, I, I think that, oh, and by, and by the way, I might add to this just before we do put the second piece up, that the danger of adversity, I think you know what it is. We all, I think we all pretty much know what it is. The danger of adversity is that a lot of times we can, we can let the negativity begin to define us. We start to yield to that. We start to blame. We become critical, resentful angry, it, a lot of times it shows up in our actions and then it, it plays itself out. In, I mean, it shows up in our attitudes and plays itself out in our actions, right? So what we need to be guarding against in those adverse places is this, this negative attitude that wants to sort of set us in place instead of giving us the ability to learn the lessons we need to learn. So, but then secondly, let's talk about abundance because one of the things Paul says, I've learned how to deal with you know, difficulty, but I've also learned that there is something that uh, I can be content with when, I, when things are going my way. Now you say, well, why is that? Well, the reason that's an issue is because abundance, though preferred, listen, carries with it its own set of danger and challenge, doesn't it? It has its own area there. What is the danger in, in abundance and when things are going our way? The danger is that we begin to be, feel less and less in need of God. We start becoming more and more self-sufficient or self-centered and less, de- listen, less desperate. Blessed, Jesus said, are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. So sometimes when we have our needs being met and things are going well and we're, we're feeling, you know, it's, it's not uncommon it's a, it, for us to become spiritually passive, more apathetic, a um, little bit uh, less in love with Jesus, if I can use that phrase. Well, you know, one of the, look in Revelation 3. I put this whole passage, I just want us to look at verse 17 for a reason. Paul, Jesus is saying this. He says uh, to the church at Laodicea, which was a very prosperous church, he says, look, you say I'm rich and I have everything. I want, I don't need anything. Jesus said, but you don't realize that you are really wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I mean, it's like he's saying, you don't see yourself as you really are because you've got all this veneer covering you up. You think because you have everything, you don't need anything. And he says, but from a spiritual standpoint, you, you don't see yourself the way I see you. Wow. Because a lot of times, why? Blessings and, and wealth and, and access to things have a way of allowing us to cover up our needs and yet, that's why sometimes the gift of God is to allow us to be stripped down of our false security that oftentimes becomes a prop that we live, people live out of, but it's really not what it seems to be. It can't produce what it promises. It can only prop up something that actually produces less humility sometimes and more pride and self-sufficiency. And so, okay, let's look at it in a different way. There was this man in the, uh, in the Bible, his name's Augur. He... In the, in the 30th proverb, Proverbs 30, he makes this statement. I'm going to put it up there. He says, Lord, can you give me two things? He says, first help me, do these two things. Help me, one, to never tell a lie, which is, that's good. And he says a second one, which is kind of a curious thing. He says, and Lord, also give me neither poverty nor give me riches. Just give me enough to, to satisfy my needs. 
interesting prayer. And I thought, wow, okay, that's interesting. And then, but watch how he fleshes it out, the next verse. What he says. He says this, essentially. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? But he says, if I'm poor, I may steal and then insult God's holy name. Now, his is his own struggle. But the phrase that caught me here was, if I get too much, he was recognizing in his own self that if I'm too, he's saying, if I'm, I want to be careful here because there is, now he, he didn't mean he would say, oh, I don't believe in God. But what, we, what he would start to do is deny the Lord's claim over his life. That There's a way in which sometimes things become so easy for us that we don't need God as much as we used to when we were in a desperate place. And so the danger of having our needs met and, be, and having everything that we kind of want and, can take, and we're in a great place is that it's very easy to forget God. And that's why I'm going to suggest that we need to be very aware of the fact that contentment is not ever to be associated with the abundance of the things that we possess as Jesus taught us. And that if anything, when we are in that place, listen, that we need to be extra careful to stay in a spiritually centered place. And sometimes that may require us to, to say, you know what, just because I can do this doesn't mean I should do it. Maybe I need to give this away. Maybe I need to be more generous at this time. Maybe I need to exercise a degree of self-denial so that in this place, what would be very easy for me to become soft in my life with God, that I retain a kind of edge that keeps me in a place of dependency, always reminding myself never to trust in these uncertain things that can go as quickly as they can but to live with generosity and compassion and to periodically go into a season where I'm intentionally moving in an area of self-denial, not because I have to, but because I want to stay spiritually fit and careful in my walk with God. You see, reminding myself of what true security looks like. But on the other hand, on the adversity side, we need to be careful about our jumping into a bad attitude and a small way of thinking that hinders God's ability to move in our lives and open things up for us. So okay, last thing we'll say then, connected to that, is this. So contentment then becomes something we can learn. It becomes a matter of degrees. And I'm not talking about educational degrees. <laughs> Sometimes the most, the most powerful, I think we all understand this. This is not by any stretch of the words and, uh, something that I want to suggest that I'm picking on anybody because I'm not. But sometimes we all know that sometimes to have the most power to have the most uh, prestige doesn't make someone contented on the inside. It's, it's not the key to contentment. Jesus continually taught us this. You can have everything in the world, but if your soul is sick, can't love well, can't, can't, it's just how many times we see it. The, the mess that, that is made. You know what? I'm talking about degrees. I'm talking about having a, a different kind of degree. I'm talking about how God teaches us to grow in our contentment a little bit at a time. Now listen, there are seasons where we have an opportunity to grow in, in a big, big way, right? Because we're in a situation where we get a growth spurt in contentment. We learn how to trust God in a very difficult situation and we respond right. The heat is on, we're feeling afraid, but we turn to God and we, we, we grow in that moment. And all of a sudden, there's this real bursting through of, of a growth and a maturing of our own Christian life. All of a sudden, it's like, God, I'm trusting you right now. I feel you with me. I'm, I'm, you're there. I'm going to handle this thing differently than I would have handled it before. I am, I am learning to live with a higher degree of personal pre precision in the way in which I approach the difficulties of life. And, it's now, and when you see it show up, 
And all of a sudden, it's, wow, God, you're, it's showing up. I'm, I'm handling this different than I would have in the past. There's a real growth opportunity there. That's my point. So wherever it is, may the Lord teach us this, teach us how to keep growing. Sometimes we remember that God wants to keep, keep us growing in the right place, that he, he has sometimes a situation for us where we have this tremendous opportunity. Yeah, it's bad. It's not a good situation, but man, what an opportunity to grow in our ability to live in, in the contentment of God. And then when we're in the place of abundance and blessing, let's be, let's be extra careful not to forget the Lord and not to get sloppy in our, in our way of following Christ, to stay very open and responsive to him. Avoid negativity, avoid anger, avoid criticism, critical and resentful thinking here, avoid apathetic, uh, self-sufficient, proud thinking over here. You see what I'm saying? Live contentedly. I will follow you, David said. I will follow you all the days of my life. You will be with me. May we never, no matter what life, see, no matter what life brings us, I can walk through it by the grace of God at work in my life. Always, I can walk through it. If it goes poorly, I can still, God, he is with me. If it goes great, he is with me. But moving through life. All right, let's pray. All right, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to just think and to engage. And I pray that it would be more than just something we admire from a distance, but we wrestle with in our own heart. I want us, if we can, by your grace, Lord, just be aware of the, the way in which you want to teach us. What a gift it is to be alive. What a great adventure it is to know you and to welcome you into our lives. How you're always contending for our growth. And you're always calling us to places of expansion. Even when, Lord, things are going our way and we, we are feeling really blessed. And the doors are all swinging open. And we're healthy and alive. And it's, it's a good time, Lord. Teach us to still love you well. Oh, not to forget you. Not to drift off, Lord, and to just be be, you know, sort of forgetful of the goodness of the Lord in our lives, but to just be intentional about serving you well and staying lean with you, trusting you, loving you, being a vehicle of blessing in our times of blessing. And then on the other hand, Lord, when we're walking through the hard places, to just help us to have a, an attitude that is open to seeing it as an opportunity for great growth in our lives. Even as we're waiting for something to change, there's so much to learn about you, about who you say we are, about our own selves. Lord, just such an opportunity there. Just deliver us from small thinking, narrow thinking, angry thinking, resentful thinking, patterns of our past, patterns we saw modeled when we were growing, whatever it is, Lord, help us, show us the way, open it up for us. You are our faithful God. You have a path for us, a growing path. Help us to apply our hearts and watch you do amazing things. So I just want to ask for your blessing, Lord. The song obviously talks about what we've been sharing. Lord, it'll connect there. And also just ask you to bless our time of giving as many of us honor you as best as we can. We do this all in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.